I love that our God has given us ways to worship. I love that he, he's given us song to worship. I love that he's given his word for us to peer into his character as it's revealed for his, through his word to worship. I love how he's given us community as the body to worship together. This, this is holy ground, folks. I almost asked, like, you should take your shoes off. We're in holy ground. The God who is worthy is being worshipped here this morning. So it's with that, uh, it's with that same heart posture I come before your people this morning, Lord Jesus. I pray that you'd use me as your vessel to speak your truth to your people. That worship would just continue as we open your word this morning. Thank you for the sweetness of your presence. I'm excited to see how you are going to apply your word specifically to my heart, how you're going to apply your word to the heart of these people, and how we will be a changed people leaving this place. Lord, I can't entertain. I can't make something of my own. It's only if you see fit to show up that real work will be done today. And so it's with this position, it's with this, this heart allegiance unto you, I commit this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. <clears throat> we are on a journey through Proverbs, and, and we are seeing how God has outlined through Solomon and many other authors multiple ways that we can have practical ways to live life. It's one of the things I love about Scripture is it gives us practical tools on how to do what we are about. I have had the privilege for the last almost 20 years to be in full-time ministry. And so I have been able to survey humankind. I've been able to survey how people live. I've been able to watch and have a, a front row seat at people in their darkest hour. A front row seat in people that are in their most rejoicing, victorious times in their lives. And something that I have seen and I've watched as I've surveyed mankind is that we are always looking for a purpose. We are always looking for the reason that this world spins. We're always looking for what is our identity? Who are we in the grand picture? And one of the things that I believe has, has been brought about because of that desire is that every single one of us is made to worship. I'm convinced when you look through your life, each decision that we make is driven through worship. That, that we are a worship people. We are, we are desirous of worshiping something. Worship in its purest form is the forgetting of self for the sake of, an, of adoring another. That's what I pray took place this morning through song. That's what I pray will take place as we unpack the word together is the abandoning of self for adoration of another. Now the danger is we are great at making little gods. 
We are a people that are idol factories. We love to build things to worship other than the one true God. You think of some of the examples that are before us. We worship self. We will put ourselves on the altar and we will worship self. We'll worship our image. My wife is out of town this weekend, so I don't even know if I got my pants on right this morning. <laughs> we worship image. We also worship things. We worship the approval of others. We worship gods of our own making. We worship our spouses. We worship our kids, and the list goes on and on and on. You see, we can look into the, all the different spheres of our life, and we can see there's a common theme of worship. If you don't know the things that you are worshiping, a good litmus test is when it's removed from you, what happens? When the approval of man is removed from you, how do you respond? When your bank account is drained, how do you respond? Those are some ways that we can see when this is taken away from, how, how does our heart respond to it? Solomon gives us a fantastic roadmap in Proverbs on who we are to worship. So lest you think that I'm going to point the picture at all these things that we're not doing correct and not give you answers, the answers are found in his word. He's going to share with us, Solomon, through Proverbs 1, this is where you're to place your worship. And I am convinced as I've surveyed these lives that I've had the privilege and honor to come alongside these last almost 20 years, I have seen that if their worship is placed correctly, it is well with their soul. Circumstances may not be all pretty and, and nice and put together, but there's a settledness within their soul because their worship is placed in the right place. That's what we want to look at this morning in Proverbs chapter 1. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what we have laid out for us is that there are people that can in, inter, be introduced to the beginning of knowledge, and it starts with having a fear. Now the fear, and this is one of the things that's important when we look at the scriptures, is that the Hebrew word here for fear is not what you have in your mind of, ah, of, of distrustful terror of a God ready to thump us. That's not the fear that's going on here. See, fear in the English language, we, we kind of have one connotation of that. But the Hebrew scripture, listen to this. In the Hebrew, what it means is reverence, piety. It comes from the root word meaning honor, respect, awe. This is the visual picture for you of what fear of the Lord looks like. Where I, I can't stand in the presence of. I have to bow before. There's an awe that permeates from my heart towards this God because I've, I've come face to face with Him. Honor, respect, reverence for this God. 
Do you see how different that text looks now? Instead of the fear, rather the fear of God. I've looked into his character. I've seen him revealed. And the response is worship. That's what comes out of the person that has a fear of God. There's a direct correlation to honor, respect, to have fear, and worship. I think it's important to look a little bit at the difference between praise and worship. Praise is very much, it's an outward, it's an exuberant, it's joyful, it's for the edification of the body. When we come together and we praise God, it brings about an edification of us in the body of Christ. Worship is much more, it's private, it's, it's inner, it's again positioned here. Worship of our God. So what we're seeing is that Solomon tells us that we are to be a people that worship this God. Worship this God. This inward, deep, humble, personal edifying of the soul towards our God. The scripture says the fear of, and we have to see what are we to fear? What are we to have this reverence, this awe, this, this humbleness before? Says the Lord. And again, we would just miss it if we just, just go over the English language. The word for the Lord here is Yahweh. It's the proper name of the one true God. To be able to use the name Yahweh means that we have knowledge and that we have close proximity. There's a, there's a, it implies a personal and a covenant-type relationship when we use the name Yahweh. That's what the, what the word Lord is. So we have this, this, and we unpack the scripture, it says that we are to be a people that worship this covenant-keeping, personal, intimate God. All of that is packed in the fear of the Lord. See how quickly we could just breeze through it in the English language? We need to step back and, and soak into it and see, oh my God, there is such value and depth is what, to what his word brings about. The name pictures God as the one who exists or causes existence. So when we think of I am, who has been, is, and will always be, there should be this, something that wells up within us, a position of worship to this God. And if not, then we haven't looked into the right God. We looked at a God of our own making. We are called to fear the Lord. We are called to have awe and reverence for this Yahweh. The awe, reverence, fear, and worship goes to the personal, intimate, covenant-making and covenant-keeping God, Yahweh, the Lord. The covenant that this God has made, and again, all of this is just packed into the word the Lord, the covenant that's made is the redemptive covenant with his people. So the beauty of what we have in the Old Testament, the gospel is laid out before us in those few short words, the fear of the Lord. Meaning, this God, Yahweh, who we have covenant relationship with, who he says, you are my son, you are my daughter, come into fellowship with me. That's the God with whom we have to do. 
The God who looked down and found you in the midst of your sin knew everything that would take place in your life, past, present, and future, and said, I still choose you. You will be mine. Come, let's fellowship together. That's the God whom we have awe, reverence, worship of. The danger is when we say things like the gospel, your mind clicks off. You say, ah, Mike, I got that. I understand the gospel. Yep, heard it. Jesus loves me. This I know. And yet what Solomon is telling us is that there is a depth to this gospel. There's a depth to this God who says, I'm going to make covenant with you and draw you into relationship with me. And the only correct response to that is worship. Just in the words of the fear of the Lord, we describe the gospel. The gospel of Jesus coming to earth to be a man, live the perfect life, take on our sin, die our death, and then resurrect on the third day to forever conquer death and secure relationship with us forever. That is worship worthy. We as a body of Christ are going to go to the creek this afternoon and we're going to celebrate this truth. We're going to give an external picture of an inward reality of what has happened to these people. We go into the waters of baptism, we come back out celebrating the resurrection of a victorious God. Worship should take place at the creek. Worship should take place in our song. Worship should take place in the peeling back of his word as we meditate upon it. Scripture says the fear of the Lord is what? Is the beginning. Again, I want to break that word down for you. You can just careen right past it, but look, look at the meat of this. In the, is the beginning means the first. Mind blown, right? The beginning means the first. The, the very first thing that comes about. So if there is a fear and honor and reverence of this God who is a covenant-keeping God, something will begin. Something will take place in your life when worship is accurately placed. When worship is in the right realm for us, a beginning of something will take place. It's a starting point, but not like a starting point that we have in a race, where there's a starting, starting line and you take off and you forget about the starting line. That's not what's taking place here. This word, is the beginning, means, it's, a good example would be like mathematics. From 0 to 10, we use those numerals through all mathematics. And then they started putting letters and stuff in. I don't understand why they did this. But for the most part, we have 0 through 10. All of that is the starting of everything that we build on all of mathematics that we study is on those numerals. That's what the context of this verse is. Meaning this isn't just something that starts and then we forget. This is something that starts and it continues and it continues and we utilize it in every sphere of our life. Every part of our life we remember awe, reverence, humility of the covenant-keeping God. That's the beginning. That, that's what this word beginning means, is that it will continue to be. We'll be reminded, we'll use it over and over and over again. Not a, you remember the, the husband that told his wife at their wedding day, I told you I loved you and if it ever changes, I'll let you know. That's not what's taking place here. What's taking place here is this continual 
pouring out of self of worship to this God. Where, yes, I did worship moments ago, but I will worship again because you are worthy. You are worthy of the worship, do you? Solomon is telling us that when we glimpse into the eyes of redemptive, covenant-keeping God, Yahweh, and our desire for worship is fully satisfied in reverence, respect, and awe, that is only the beginning. That's where we start, and the rest builds upon that foundation. So we have a God that says, have awe, reverence, worship me, the covenant-keeping God, and that will be the very beginning, the starting point that will build on to, what's the scripture say? Knowledge. So if we have the right worship in our life, if we understand who it is we are to worship, it will begin a process of knowledge. Knowledge means this, understanding, learning, gaining the ability to. Knowledge of how to be skilled at life, skilled at a trade, skilled at battle, and all spiritual things. Having an awe and reverence for God that leads us to worship will unleash a divine gift of knowledge on how to live life. Remember the premise. We are worshiping people. And when we are worshiping the one true God, like we have partaken together here this morning, knowledge will be given as a gift straight to us. This is how you live life. The adventure becomes, how do we draw this position, this heart, this heart position of worship into our workplace, into our homes, into our parenting, into our finances, into our sexuality, into our relationships? How, how do we draw this position of worship to our God in the midst of those arenas. You see how the scripture says, I will depart unto you a divine gift of my knowledge, God saying my knowledge of how to do this. I'll teach you to love your wife because I know best how to love your wife. I'll teach you how to raise your kids because I know best how to, to raise your kids. You just worship me. You just worship me. Have your heart positioned to worship me and I will add all these things unto you. When the correct recipient of our worship is in place, life falls into order. I would ask you to stop and evaluate. Evaluate any area of your life that lacks peace. Evaluate any area of your life that has chaos. Evaluate any of your area of your life that has strain. And the first question I would pose to you is, what or who are you worshiping? Where is the allegiance of your heart placed in that area of strain, of chaos, of lack of peace? Who are we worshiping? Psalm 16.4 says, The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Our God knows that it is best for us to worship him and no other. And he will relentlessly come after us and draw us back into that position of worship because he knows that will be best for you to give him the glory due to his name. So that's what the man and the woman of God looks like. They, they are in a position of humble worship 
of a covenant-keeping God, and God bestows back into that person knowledge on how to live life. Let's look at the foolish man. The scripture continues to say, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools despise. This word fools is used 25 different times in the Hebrew scriptures. And despise means scorn, to deride or to express contempt for. It's almost like a hand lifted to the sky in anger towards this God. What does a foolish man despise? The scripture says they despise wisdom and instruction. So we have this picture of instead of positioning ourselves in humility before this God, it's rather a tyrant of anger towards this God of whom we are to fear. Do we see that in our world at all? And I would take it a step further. Do we not only see it in the world so far, do we see it in our own self? Do we see when God jeopardizes the lesser loves that we've fallen in love with? When he brings about conflict in that area, what rises up within us? I would venture to say there's probably more foolish people in here than we would like to admit. That we will look to not go into awe and reverence of this covenant-keeping God, but rather look to self. Remember that whole worship, we love to worship self. Fools despise, so they have this scorn or contempt towards wisdom. Wisdom is synonymous many times with knowledge. And again, it means skill, learning the skill of life, trade, battle, or spiritual things, aptitude or experience. You would ask the question, why in the world would anybody have discontent against wisdom? Why would they, would they raise their hand against this is how to live life and live life well? Why would they do this? Remember one of the first things that Bill brought out in this series of, of Proverbs is that the number one thing that will stop you, will block you from receiving the fullness of what God wants to do through his Proverbs is pride. That's what the foolish man lives in. I know what deserves to be worshipped. And a lot of times it's me, the foolish man says. I don't need the wisdom of God and, and, and knowing how to live life your way. I don't need your insight. I don't need your ability to do life the way you say it should be done. I will do it in and of myself. Brings out a despising of his wisdom. Remember also that we're idol factories, and whenever the one true God threatens the God of our own making, contempt will arise. The fool not only despises wisdom, he also despises instruction. Let's look at this. Instruction, the word means the correcting of errant behavior, discipline, or the general overview of correction. How many of us line up to be corrected? How many of us line up to say, you know what, I've been errant, would you please correct? We don't typically do that. Why? Because we're not a people that worship. When I am positioned here, the worship of my one true God, I recognize my error, his holiness, and my, re my correct response to his holiness. I love that we sang this morning, holy, holy, holy is this Lord God Almighty. That's the picture. You are God, I'm not. And when we choose to reverse the order, we become, like the proverb says, a fool. 
Proverbs continues to describe this foolish man in chapter 1, verse 29. It says this, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. There's a good danger, you guys, for us when we look at a text, is that if we just grab that one phrase and we don't have the context of what's building up to it, we can miss the boat. We can miss the intent behind the scripture. A text with no context is no text at all. So let's back up a little bit in verse 22. It says, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Our God is saying, if you simply turn and follow me, if you simply position yourself as a man of worship, I will pour my spirit into you. Because I have called you and you refuse to listen. Stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. So you see the context now? Like if we just took in the middle of there... All right, we've got a God that says, when terror strikes you like a storm and calamity comes in, I will laugh at your calamity. Wait a minute. For those who continually say, no, I don't want your wisdom. I don't want you, God. I don't want what instruction you can give to me. Terror will come. And yet God says, look at the, the end of the verse. Let's continue on past 29. Verse 30, would have none of my counsel and despise all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way, and they will have the fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But verse 33, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. So what our God is telling us is through Solomon... Through, his, ver- through his, his servant Solomon to the text of, of, of Proverbs, is that if you listen to me, if you worship me as the one true God, you, have, you continually bring before your heart an awe and a reverence of me as your God. I will listen to you. You listen to me. You will dwell secure. You will be at ease without dread of disaster. What a beautiful promise that this God gives us. The foolish man says, no, I want none of it. I actually hate it. The scripture says that in 29. Hated means to be an enemy, to be unloved, to be shunned, to be an adversary. Both passive and non-passive. And yet God says at the end of his Proverbs in 33, that if you simply fear me, you will enjoy security in your dwelling you will enjoy ease because your worship is is right. The beauty is that we can worship this God even in the midst of terrible circumstances. Worship is a choice to tell our heart to move in that direction. It will not be a natural choice. Although we are worshiping beings, the worship we will typically send to self. 
rather than the forgetting of self for the adoration of our God. What my prayer is, is that we will be a people, again, to give you the visual picture that position our lives here, worshiping the one true God, saying you and you alone are worthy. You and you alone will receive my worship. You and you alone are worthy to receive all that I can pour out. And it will be well for us. Even with the chaos around, it will be well for us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would do like the psalmist in 139, that you would search our hearts, that you would see any area, you would see anything that isn't to be worshipped, you would shine your light upon it, and you would remove it from our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would just bring a great purity, a forgetting of self for the sake of worship of you. Show us the areas that we draw into. Show us the areas that, that we're tempted by lesser love. Show us the areas that we have awe and reverence for anything other than you. And please, Father, in your good grace, remove those so that we might worship the one true king. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.